Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. Well, here we are, almost at the end of 2021, and uh, it has been a good year. You know, it's um, year two of the pandemic, so uh, hopefully going into 2022, we'll have some more upbeat times, some better things going on. However, <clears throat> since we are here at the end of 2021, I want to wish everyone an early Happy New Year's. I hope uh, you have a great time this, this year. Get out, see your friends and family, hug people. Let's get back to normal. I don't know. I thought, you know, this uh, with this Omicron variant, maybe the herd immunity is here. Regardless, they do say that it is a weaker strain, a lighter strain. So hopefully that's exactly what it is. And we won't have to uh, worry too, too terribly much going forward now that there are drugs and medicines out. <clears throat> You know, as I sit back and I think on 2021, it got started off rough. And you guys have heard me, uh, those that listen regularly, um, have heard me talk about last year, the loss of my sister and then the loss of uh, my other sister, her husband passed, so lost our brother-in-law. And, you know, it's, it's been a rough, rough year. Had a mother that was fighting lung cancer. So just, just a lot of things personally going on. And in the midst of that, trying to build a, you know, small business and, uh, on, you know, squeeze that in there and uh, work with a nonprofit. Busy, busy year, but it's like, you know, slowed everything kind of in slow motion from the pandemic. But I remember at the very first, very first episode last year uh, or this year, uh, I had a, a guest on a psychic medium and she wrote a book called What Happens the Day After. And it was a very, very touching book about teen suicide and how she had worked with uh, not only teenagers who had committed suicide, kind of cross over, find peace, but actually the families that were left behind that were so distraught and just ravaged by, by suicide. It's, it, it was a very touching book, uh, to say the least. And um, when I started first talking to her, uh, you know, she kind of came across as kind of gruff. I think folks like her probably get a lot of, catch a lot of like uh, resistance from people and criticism and ridicule and, um, for her gift, right? But um, she was actually, like, I, I, I really took to her, girl from Jersey, right? So so she's, uh, you know, different than, you know, the 
I guess, you know, somebody like me from the South, you know, that would like a little small talk before you move into talking about bigger things. And, but she was just a very unique person. I really, really enjoyed talking to her. And that was one of the, one of the conversations throughout this year that, that sort of stuck out, even though it was early on in the year, just her powerful personality. So I wanted to, uh, I started thinking about that the other day. And as I got close to the end of this year, I wanted to squeeze in a couple more episodes before the end of the year. I started thinking about premonitions. It's something really I haven't, a show we haven't tackled. And, you know, I can have some guests on. Um, and I think in 2022, I'll revisit this topic and find some folks, maybe some experts in the field, maybe you've written books on it, done uh, research on it. But there's so many weird stories out there about premonitions. We all have all had that kind of gut feeling of premonition about something at some point or that experiencing what, what you call deja vu. So I started just doing some digging. I'm like, what are some weird stories that, that are, uh, you know, because I wanted to gravitate a little bit more toward the weird here at the end of the year. What are some weird stories about, uh, about deja vu and, and, uh, and, and this? So the first thing that like popped in my mind was that old story of the Italian bride. Now, I'm, I don't know how many of you know this story, but this was the early part of the 20th century. <clears throat> There's this lady by the name of Julia Bacola Petta, and that's Petta, P-E-T-T-A. And uh, so I just did some digging on her, no pun intended, but um, she was a housewife that really, I guess, got famous following her death, and everybody called her the Italian bride um, because of the strange death, you know. Uh, she was the daughter of this lady, uh, Philomena Bacola, and she was the wife of a man by the name of Matthew Petta. And and uh, Julia died at the age of 29 in 1921 while giving birth uh, to her stillborn son, uh, Filippo. Well, now following her death, she was buried at um, Mount Carmel Cemetery. This is in Chicago. And this is, a, I think it's a suburb of... I think I read it was Hillside, if you're familiar with Chicago. Well, she was buried in her wedding dress. So according to the legend, soon after she died, her mother started having these really weird, horrifying dreams. Um, you know, so I, guess I was just, let me take a look at what I'm reading here. Um, so she started having these just terrifying nights. And in her dreams, as I was reading, she could see Julia telling her that she was still alive, needed her help. And these nightmares kept going on and on. Well, anyway, for the next few years, like six, five or six years, these dreams just kept coming and going. And she uh, started to try to uh, have her body exhumed. Now, she couldn't explain to anybody why she needed to have it done, why she wanted her daughter's grave opened and, and, and the body exhumed, but she, um, you know, persistence, I guess, eventually paid off. And I think probably the person who ended up paying for the cost of all this was Julia's brother, which, uh, from what I read, didn't, didn't make him very happy. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot of friction between Julia's mom, Miss Bacola, and her husband, Julia's husband, Matthew. And uh, he ended up remarrying right around the time of you know, the disinternments. Um, 
but Julia's married name does not appear on the monument, and neither did the name of her son. So, um, after all these nightmares, she had her body exhumed. The sympathetic judge finally gave in in 1927. This is, I think, six years after Julia died. And uh, the casket was removed from the grave. When it was opened, this was what was strange. Julia's body, when they looked at it, it had not decayed at all. Uh, it, in fact, it was actually said that her flesh was still as soft as it had been when she was alive. So they took a photograph uh, at the time of the, uh, when they exhumed the body that showed Julia as what people in the media wrote as incor her incorruptible body in the casket. So anyway, Philomena uh, set out to raise money for a more elaborate tombstone. <clears throat> so she get the she gets the money, and she wanted this to be a you know very big tribute to her to her daughter. A life size sculpture is now on that grave of Julia and her uh, on her wedding day. So not only did they put a picture of her in her wedding dress on the on the grave, but it was now she has the sculpture on top of it, which was really, really fascinating if you look at the pictures of it. Well, anyway, um, a lot of people began to admire Julia after that when they saw the photos of her body after six years. And um, I guess they, they thought she was saintly. Um, and uh, so I guess there was, you know, that was kind of the, the thing that, you know, maybe she's angelic or saintly or incorruptible, as as I said, that showed up in the press. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I guess some, some, you know, they, some people said that the uh, condition of the body, I mean, there's there has to be a reason why it was still so, so unchanged. Um, I know when you, there have been embalming materials long before, but, you know, so usually it slows down the decaying process of the organs. Um, and, yeah, so that 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 might have explained it, but but to not have any kind of decay at all was was really um, weird, even at that time, uh, according to you know the press. Now there are probably other reasons. There has to be some you know logical reason for this, in my mind. But um, anyway, I was started thinking about you know those premonitions of that dream that she was still alive. You know that she had to go um, you know dig that up. Um, anyway, a lot of skeptics, like I said, scoffed at the idea of her being a saint and, uh, and said that the photo they took after the postmortem, you know, after the, they exhumed the body, a lot of people claimed that photo was taken before she was buried. And, you know, so there was all this, you know, controversy at the time. But anyway, the Italian bride is still a, an interesting story. Um, and I started thinking, well, what about premonitions? We've all sort of had some. And, um, and I was, I was going to ask you, the listener. Have you ever had a premonition, some weird feeling that something was going to happen and maybe you discovered later it did actually happen? Um, you're not alone if you have. I mean, I think we've all kind of been there. But I started looking up some other creepy premonitions that actually came true. And you'd be surprised what you find on Reddit. <laughs> I mean, that is, a, that is an interesting uh, website nonetheless. Anyway. Premonitions, I guess, are what some people just say your instincts kicking in. And that's absolutely natural, not supernatural. But there was a really interesting book written by a guy by the name of Gavin De Becker. 
you wrote this book called The Gift of Fear. If you haven't read this, it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, and in that, he says that people often notice more details are, that are surrounding you than you actually realize. And that even though our conscious mind doesn't necessarily process all this, doesn't register it, our subconscious mind actually does. And uh, he claims that if you start to feel kind of weird about something or uneasy about something without really knowing why, chances are it's your, you've unconsciously noticed something that's kind of setting off alarm bells. Uh, and that's kind of, I guess, what we all call that gut feeling, right? I mean, that's, you know, listen to your gut, right? So um, it's plausible, makes sense. But here's some weird stuff. All right, now we've all read, um, well, I don't know, probably fans of this show, probably like a lot of Edgar Allan Poe. I know a couple of very big Poe fans. <coughs> the name Richard Parker ought to ring a bell. Um, Edgar Allan Poe only wrote uh, one full-length, you know, complete full-length novel. And you can actually find this free on the internet if you look for it. It's called The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. And that was published in uh, 1838, according to my notes here. And um, in Pym's misadventures, as a, I don't know, he's a stowaway on this whaling ship. And that's been God years since I've read this, so bear with me if I, if I make some mistakes here. I should have had one of my Poe fans on here to tell me about the story. Um, anyway, there's a mutiny, there's a shipwreck, cannibalism follows right after that. With the cabin boy by the name of Richard Parker becoming the victim of the cannibalism. Now... In the story, to be fair, it's this Richard Parker cabin boy who actually suggested that uh, a crew member should be sacrificed to provide food for everyone else. And then this lucky, unlucky son of a bitch proceeds to draw the short straw. So anyway, fast forward decades later, it's like 1884, and there's this ship that sets sail from Southampton uh, heading for Sydney. And it's called the, the uh, Mennonette. Well, the ship sank, right? When the food ran out, the crew drew straws to determine which one of them should be sacrificed to feed the others. I'm not kidding. The cabin boy drew the short straw and was killed and eaten. The ship was rescued in September of 1884. It, it wrecked in May. And uh, September, they were, they were rescued. Uh after which the captain of the ship, Tom Dudley, and another crewmate by the name of Edwin Stevens, they were tried and found guilty of murder. They were sentenced to death, but that sentence was actually reduced to six months in jail because of the circumstances that they were in. You want to know what the cabin boy's name was? Yeah, you guessed it, Richard Parker. Okay, now you might recall that earlier in this century. That's weird to say. Um, and uh, there was a book that came out earlier called, uh, I think it's early 2000s. It's called Life of Pi, P.I. They actually made a movie of it. Um, Richard Parker is actually the name of the tiger in that story. Um, so on top of that Poe's novel and that court case, here we have another Richard Parker who perished when the ship uh, Francis Spaked, I think that's a German, sank in 1846. 
right? And uh, I don't know. Crazy stuff, right? I don't want to. I'm never going to name anything Richard Parker. Um, but here's something from Reddit. So I jump over to Reddit. And I started looking up. Uh, yeah, I found this thread from, this is probably maybe three years ago. Um, it's called Glitch in the Matrix. And this is where people were putting down premonitions that they had in dreams that actually came true. So here's one that I thought was quite interesting. And you can you can find these on Reddit. Actually, there's an article over on Bustle that has some of these on there. This guy writes, <clears throat> I had a dream about a car crash a couple of months before it happened. Fast forward. I'm about to get into my ex's car when, my voice, when a voice in my ear tells me to buckle up which I'd almost never done up to that point because teenagers are stupid. Anyway, I get in, buckle up, we talk, yada, yada. Then we end up at this spot I've never been to before. I literally don't remember the time between leaving his house and arriving at that destination. It's a damn blank. There's a car coming. We end up T-boned on my side. I get out and sit on a nearby curb waiting for an ambulance to arrive. Then there's a brief moment of clarity where I realize. Both cars are in the exact same position as in the dream. I'm sitting exactly in the same position, knees close to my chest, holding my head. Later found out I'd suffered a mild concussion. And the exact same spot as in the dream. Even the effing road is the same. Even my effing outfit down to my damn shoes is the same. It still freaks me out. Well, okay. That's a good reason to wear a seatbelt, folks. <laughs> um, here's another one from the same thread. Um, as that uh, car crash story. Now, this is about uh, a typhoon. Probably You guys probably remember a few years ago, this typhoon high informed. Uh, this was in 2013, November. And uh, it just, just hit the Philippines. It just decimated the hell out of that place. Actually, it was the deadliest typhoon they've ever seen. Well, this guy writes, this happens to me all the time. I have a timestamp log in a private internet group, so I, A, have witnesses, and B, can look back and check dates and details. The frustrating thing is that I can't induce it, and the precognition is totally random. I can miss huge world events, but predict my friend's mother, who I hadn't seen or talked to in over two years, being diagnosed with tuberculosis from her years as a nurse, which was totally out of the blue and not confirmed until I saw her again a year later. I do sometimes get the world events, though. I saw Typhoon Haiyan hit the Philippines about a week and a half before warnings about its pending arrival made the news. I can think terrible. I can thank terrible U.S. geography education for the fact that I didn't recognize any of the names of the places that I saw in the dream until I woke up and Googled. Well, that's interesting, too. Um, here's a really interesting... Uh, well, this, uh, this is fairly interesting. It's about this nurse, a 2015, um, this, this nurse who calls herself the reluctant psychic. Uh, she shared some stories at the New York Post, and her name is Susan Saxman. She said about the time uh, you know, her predictions came true. And uh, speaking of a former, one former client, she wrote in her memoir, according to the, uh, the New York Post, and this is a quote here, The moment this woman walked into my room, I wanted to vomit. The feeling was more intense than Saxman said she usually experienced with ill clients. Uh, sometimes I'll get this feeling, I'll feel the twinge of someone's arthritis or dull pounding of a headache. 
but this was an overwhelming sensation. I was going to throw up. Well, anyway, she says so she writes that, and then uh, she apparently was asking this client if they were feeling all right. Did she want a doctor? Um, did she take, you know, um, but she said she felt fine, didn't need a doctor. She took all the supplements that she needed to. And anyway, Saxman said she told her client to definitely see a doctor, but she just, just hard decline. Only a few months later, she said she saw her obituary in the paper. Now, here's a very famous uh, premonition. Uh, we all know Nostradamus, but in 1555, uh, he published his book of predictions uh, called Les Prophetes, right? So anyway, in the chapter uh, Century 2, the 51st prediction uh, contained the following two lines. And you can go look this up, just Google this. The English translation is, uh, the blood of the just will be demanded of London, burnt by the fire in the year 66. Well, the great fire of London happened on September 2nd, 1666. Huge, massive destruction and death all over the place. Um, but uh, anyways, really, really eerie stuff that that Nostradamus guy. <laughs> um, Let's see, this was, uh, no, I'm looking, I'm looking at another one here. I, this, this one's not, yeah, that one's different, but oh, I'll pass on that one. Here's another tsunami one. This was from Reddit as well. Uh, here's something I thought was really interesting. This came off of BuzzFeed. Um, BuzzFeed had asked uh, readers uh, to submit their scariest and weirdest premonitions. And uh, so this, uh, this, this person put up, uh, you know, I guess, bullet points of this weird thing. According to a reader, right, her grandmother had once dreamed the same dream for three nights in a row. Uh, a dream of a woman standing at the foot of her bed telling her to move her two daughters, uh, one of whom was the reader's mother, right? So um, move them out of the bedroom. So after the third night, she told her daughters, and, and then later writes to BuzzFeed to tell them this, that the, the next night, the roof over their beds collapsed, and a massive beam dropped right across their beds. The woman the grandmother dreamed about may have been her husband's mother, who had died when he was young. This was the weirdest one of all for me. This this one's this one's actually quite creepy. Um, we all know about the Marilyn Manson murder. Hell, that may be a premonition. Oops, Charles Manson murders and the Charles Manson family. Well, this is a Sharon Tate story. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with uh, that, you know, the, the Manson murders. Um, actually, I'm not quite sure exactly. I was reading some of where this came from, but it was, I don't know if it was like Fate Magazine. And then there was this uh, this guy by the name of uh, Dick Kleiner, who was a, a columnist at the time. So he wrote this. He knew her. He knew Sharon Tate. So he, he wrote this, but I can't. Exactly, you know, pinpoint where this eventually was published at, but I think it was Fate Magazine or uh, something called Dangerous Minds that showed up on that. Any, anyway, um, Sharon Tate once told Kleiner in an interview about a strange vision she had. She said that in retrospect, you know, Kleiner said it appears to have predicted her own death. So this vision that Kleiner claims that Sharon Tate had occurred in 1967, roughly. 
when she was dating a celebrity hairstylist by the name of Jay Sebring. And you'll know Sebring from the Manson murders. Anyway, one night he was uh, he was traveling for work, and she was sleeping at his house alone. This is a house which, by the way, I'll point out, belonged to the a Hollywood agent by the name of, uh, once belonged to Paul Byrne, a Hollywood agent. And Byrne had literally died in that house. I don't know if that had anything to do with her maybe being creeped out and having these premonitions. Anyway, Tate apparently told Kleiner that she started experiencing this funny feeling while trying to get some sleep, although she was actually awake, and that she then saw a small man uh, that matched Paul Byrne's description in the bedroom with her. So she ran out of the room. You know, I mean, did she just see a ghost? I don't know. Scared the hell out of her. Runs out of the room. And that's when she saw it, according to Kleiner. And this is a quote that Kleiner uses for Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate is saying, I saw someone or something or someone tied to the staircase. Whoever it was, and I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, but I knew somehow that was either Jay Sebring or me. He or she was cut open at the throat. Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring were both murdered by the Manson family on orders of Charles Manson on August 9th of 1969. And that infamous slaughter. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's certainly crazy. Uh, here's another one from Reddit. Um, I, yeah, I hate to... I, that, I should have ended on that one. <laughs> uh, here's one from Reddit as well. I had the most vivid dream I've ever had. After I woke up, I wrote it out and sent it out to a lot of my friends because it just touched me. It seemed important. It was the most vivid dream experience I've ever had. It was about the space shuttle blowing up. Less than 48 hours, it happened. Or less than 48 hours later, it happened. And he was talking about the Challenger uh, explosion, which... Uh, I think what's hey, this was infamous. I remember watching this when I was a kid. Uh, the the uh, it was a tragedy because they had the uh, the school teacher that was on there. She was uh, it was it was such a, a ceremonious time, and um, anyway, it was uh, seventy three seconds into the flight. I actually remember that that, and it was um, late January, uh, eighty six. I don't remember what date, but. Um, Anyway, it was uh, really, really, that was kind of creepy, though, but I remember watching that. And there's all these premonitions about the Titanic. I think they're really interesting as well. So anyway, that's uh, those are some things. I was going to, but, you know, have you ever had premonitions? Um, I'd love to hear some from you. And did they come true? Is it a dream you have that nothing's, nothing's came true yet? Or is this something that uh, you found out years later? actually happened. I'd love to hear those. I did want to sh shift to one weird thing. This has nothing to do with premonitions. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? Um, this is an article I found uh, it's called on Above Top Secret. NASA signs up a British priest to prepare for alien life. Now, it's hard to find. American media doesn't take much of this stuff seriously. However, um, this is an article that was published right before Christmas by Jacob Paul. Uh, and it's, uh, NASA signs up British priests to prepare for alien life. May discover it next week. 
NASA enlists a British priest to help the religious prepare for alien life discovery as space agencies edge closer towards finding evidence that life exists outside of our planet. Will Storar, director of the CTI, said that NASA was looking for serious scholarship being published in books and journals to address the profound wonder and the mystery and implication of finding microbial life on another planet. Dr. Davidson's book reads, The headline findings are that adherents of a range of religious traditions report that they can take the idea in their stride. Non-religious people also seem to overestimate the challenges that religious people would experience if faced with evidence of alien life. Um, and then there's all kinds of smart-ass uh, responses, uh, comments down at the bottom. Um, one guy says, and, what, and what's the priest going to do? Soak the allies with holy water or the aliens with holy water and declare them clean? Um, but, you know, um, there's, there's all kinds of theories about about religion and aliens. And I've never really broached into that, and I haven't jumped into that topic. But there are some interesting theories out there. And I have a feeling that in the new year, you and I are going to have to talk about that. So let's see if we can find some people that um, have some interesting theories. If you know of anybody out there or an interesting book about it, shoot it my way. Um, I'd love to... Uh, we're going to further this discussion, and I think I know a person by the name of Heidi Gadd that might have some thoughts on this. Yeah, the reboot of Aliens and Beyond is coming soon. I just confirmed that with uh, her. She said she and Mace are working on uh, getting this uh, going here in the next few weeks. So let's hope. I want them back on to talk about this. Anyway, guys, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. Yeah. Premonitions. Drop me an email, cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com. I'd love to hear about those. Maybe read a few of them on a future episode. Thanks again, everybody. If you don't if you don't stop back by before New Year's, I hope you have a great New Year's Eve. Be safe, have fun, and uh, love your friends and family. I think two years this past two years have taught us one thing. No one's guaranteed a tomorrow. Enjoy it today. Hey, thanks again, everyone. Have a great night.